This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features 100,000 titles, including Walter Isaacson's biography, Albert Einstein, His Life and Universe, narrated by Edward Herman, and Stephen Hawking's The Theory of Everything, narrated by Michael York. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash Siam, S-C-I-A-M. Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on March 29th, 2013. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... I have the bioterrorist, who's a, a guy who's working on what are called chromophores, and they're the colored substances that animals have, and, and, and animals have tons of different chromophores. And he figures out how to put them into a virus, and then he does a lot of very elegant work to figure out how it be made to infect humans. That's science writer Dennis Meredith. Dennis has been a science communicator at some of the nation's leading research institutions, including MIT, Caltech, Cornell, Duke, and the University of Wisconsin. He got his undergraduate degree in chemistry from the University of Texas and a master's in biochemistry and science writing from Wisconsin, Go Badgers. And he's the author of a new novel called The Rainbow Virus. I caught up with Dennis at the recent meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in Boston. We spoke in a mostly empty corridor at the Heinz Convention Center. Dennis, tell us about the book, and uh, it's a novel. It's not a, it's not a nonfiction book, but... There's a lot of real science in it. It's, it's called uh, the rainbow virus, and it's what I call scientific fiction, in that I take uh, what's real science and, and stretch it a bit to tell a good adventure story. But at the same time, it's based on some real uh, psychological studies and, uh, and studies uh, that uh, warn about the dangers of bioterrorism. But again, I was looking to write an adventure novel to grab people to sort of get them to think about issues of, of skin color, uh, issues of, uh, of what... Uh, Bioterrorism could do those kinds of things. So, what actually? Ha- you know, don't give us the whole book, but give us a general outline of the plot. Well, these people start turning different colors all of a sudden, and uh, I try to capture sort of the the shock and dismay that that happens that happens when that occurs, um, and then gradually this uh, this bioterrorist begins to. Uh, develop new uh, vac- uh, new viruses that cause people to change into a multitude of colors. Not just the, uh, it's not that somebody who's white turns black or somebody who's black turns white, it's somebody who's beige turns green. Oh, yeah, I, I tried to use as many colors as I could. Uh, there's tangerine, there's, uh, there's grape, there's pumpkin, there's uh, fuchsia. Uh, and the idea was uh, we are we define ourselves, oddly enough, as black or white, although there are no white people and there are no black people. Um, so we, we have sort of this dichotomous view, this, uh, you know, binary view. And what would happen if people turned just a rainbow of colors? What would that do there to the perceptions of themselves? What would it do to the whole idea in society about race? Uh, and it just—it was sort of a, a thought experiment that started about, t- about ten years ago that blossomed into this novel. Talk a little bit about the actual science. I mean, obviously, there's no virus right now that a bioterrorist could use to make people turn all kinds of lifesaver role covers uh, colors. But within the constructs that you develop in the book, 
How do you explain in a way that's not completely outlandish how this could happen? Well, I have the, the bioterrorist, without giving too much away, I have the bioterrorist who's a, a guy who's working on what are called chromophores, and they're the color, colored substances that animals have, and, and, and animals have tons of different chromos, chromophores. And he figures out how to put them into, into a virus, and then he does a lot of very elegant work to figure out how, it, how he can made, be made to in, infect humans. So sort of the, the, building, the basic building blocks of the science are there, but I, also, I arrange them in a really screwy way to, to make a point. And it, we should point out, I mean, people may have heard about uh, green fluorescent protein, which is used in a, in a lot of scientific work, but it's also been used just proof of principle. Didn't they turn rabbits green or they, kittens uh, they've green? Turned, they've they've uh, turned rabbits and kittens and mice uh, these fluorescent colors. And so that happened actually after I came up with the idea for the book, and I was kind of surprised to see that, well, you, you could do it. Um, so the, the, the issue is what would happen if this started happening to people. And, uh, and it, there, there were sort of two themes here. One was, of course, this, this idea of, of skin color and what our perception of skin color uh, is to our own identity. Uh, and the other thing that I found is as I was researching the book that uh, there are a lot of government reports that say bioterrorism is indeed an enormous threat that's not been uh, paid attention to enough. We had the anthrax incident shortly after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember years ago editing a piece for the magazine about the threat to crops from bioterror. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't actually affect people directly, but if you could wipe out the wheat supply, you could do severe economic damage yes. to the country. Yes. So bioterror is a real threat that people do pay a lot of attention to in the in the circles of policy making. Yes, in, in, in policy-making circles, but I, one point of the book, although it, it's subsumed by this adventure story, is that um, the government really needs to fund uh, adequately bio, uh, bioterrorism and biodefense projects to make sure that the, that these things don't happen, that uh, CDC and, and uh, the Army uh, and other, other areas, other agencies have enough money to, to understand these threats. But the, the anthrax release in 2001 is a classic case. That was uh, allegedly done by a guy who worked at uh, USAMRID, that's the, the government research biodefense bio laboratory, who stole anthrax from the facility and weaponized it. Uh, and I, I was surprised in my research and talking to people that, uh, at least when I talked to them, the handling of some of these viruses is not... Uh, under the kind of security that you would expect. Hmm. Uh, I know I can't, I don't uh, reveal any names, but one uh, guy who works in with viruses and, and uh, lethal organisms told me that they were shipped FedEx. <laughs> we, we don't have a separate shipping mechanism for, uh, for such substances, I guess. Not then, uh, uh, not then. They certainly weren't carried in an armored car to their destination. They right. were sent FedEx, and uh, I guess the, the bad news is that they shipped FedEx. The good news is that they arrived overnight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what happens in the book, again, without giving us the entire book, but you know, it's an, it's an interesting bioterrorism mechanism. People aren't dying. They're just waking up and... They're blue. And they're blue, red, green. Uh, at first, it's the primary colors, but mm-hmm. then I branch out. The, uh, my, my bioterrorist uh, learns to uh, modulate the genes in, the, in, his, in his virus so that they uh, randomly uh, have random uh, levels of, of, the fun, of the primary colors so people start turning 
all the colors of the rainbow. And then uh, I, I, not, I have it happen in an entire city. And then what happens to society? Do, do uh, uh, boyfriend and girlfriend break up because their colors are, are uh, incompatible? Um, does uh, a husband beat up the mailman because his color is closer to that of his uh, son uh, than him? <laughs> so there are a lot of fun things that happen, but I wanted to just explore what would happen to the entire society if people were multicolored. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. what was your deep motivation for... For doing it, it's sort of in addition to being, as you call it, scientific fiction. It's sort of allegory. It is. It's allegory. I uh, I grew up in a very racist society. I mean, where the Klan was active, and and there were uh, colored and uh, white toilets, and and colored and white uh, uh, drinking fountains, mm-hmm. and uh, the races were strictly separate. This and was Texas this, in this, the Texas in the in the fifty late fifties. And so, uh, fortunately, I had a, a, a gentleman, a grandfatherly-like gentleman named Uncle Fox, who was a, a black man, uh, actually dark, dark brown, <laughs> who lived uh, in the back of a beer joint that my dad would frequent. And I'd go back and talk to Uncle Fox, and he was just a great guy, and, and I loved him dearly. Oh, you were a really little I kid. I was nine years old. Yeah. And so, a, a, as I grew up and I became aware of this vicious, uh, uh, violent racism in, in the area, I was totally puzzled. Because I'm thinking when, when they're talking about using the N-word and, and, and raci- other racial epithets, they're talking about Uncle Fox. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of stuck with me in my mind and, and, and as I grew. And then, then when I became a writer, I had this really screwy notion about what would happen if somebody t- uh, turned everybody a different color. And uh, 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 when writers have screwy notions, they turn into novels. <laughs> when normal people have screwy notions, they sort of laugh and go about their way. Uh So that's what happened. Why don't you read a passage from the book? This is early on in the book. Well, uh, to to set the stage, I wanted to sort of capture uh, how people, how somebody would feel if they were just a a normal everyday guy working a normal everyday job and and they woke uh, woke up in the morning uh, a a color. And to set the stage, this is an emergency room early, early in the morning. Everybody's half asleep. The nurses have worked their tails off all night and they're, they're relaxed and and just waiting to go off their shift. And here's, the, the, here's what happens. The metallic clang of a dropped instrument tray shattered the silence, startling her, the nurse, to woozy alertness. She managed to focus on a middle-aged man who had rushed up to her desk. His pear-shaped broad body was barely covered by a thin, worn plaid bathrobe. His sparse, disheveled hair stuck crazily up from his bulbous head. His jowly, unshaven face sagged with sleep and age. And that face was blue a solid, bright blue that brought an involuntary grunt of utter surprise from the nurse. His chest, belly, and legs showed the same unrelenting blue as his face and hands. He stared at her wide-eyed, pleadingly. His mouth opened twice as if to say something. He released the robe, holding his palms up, but then dropped them to his side. Then his eyes rolled back in his head, and he collapsed with an alarming thud. His skinny blue legs splayed out on the floor. The nurse recovered enough to bark, "'Patient in acute distress!' to the emergency room staff. She scurried around the desk to find the man's eyes opening as she knelt down. Sir, are you having trouble breathing? Are you having chest pains? No, uh, I'm... But before he could finish, a doctor and another nurse rushed up. They took one surprised look at the man and one puzzled glance at each other. Then the doctor crouched at his side. With brisk efficiency, the doctor, the sturdy nurse, and the emergency room hoisted the man onto a gurney. Sir, can you breathe? asked the doctor as he placed his stethoscope on the hairy blue chest. 
yes, I, I think I'm okay, but I'm just, are you having chest pains? No, I, I just woke up and I was blue. His brown eyes showed a rising fear, a sheen of sweat formed on his blue upper lip. You just woke up, you were asleep, or did you faint? I was asleep, I fainted now, I'm scared. Well, we'll sit. Well, sir, you just relax. We'll find out what's wrong. What's wrong is I'm blue, he mumbled. Am I okay? So um, you had an oddly <laughs> eerie experience this morning <laughs> that's reminiscent of this. Yes, I think it's payback. I, I, I woke up and I was taking a shower. I got out of the shower and I turned color. I turned blotchy red all over my body. And I got just a, just a sense, a, a small sense of what this poor guy went through. Because when you look in the mirror, you expect to see yourself in your normal color. Bright red is something that's a little more common. It probably you're, you're having some kind of a, an allergic reaction to something. Yes, I, I ate yeah. something or, yeah. uh, you know, or, or was exposed to something that I had a dermatitis right. as a result of. So the, the thing is, even though this is a perfectly you know, normal pathology, I felt really uh, uh, frightened, disconcerted. Yeah. And so you can imagine what would happen if people woke up and they were blue or red or orange or fuchsia or, or tangerine. Yeah. So, uh, but right now you're you're taking some uh, antihistamines and you, yes, you're getting this under control and you're waiting to hear back from your daughter who's a doctor. That's right. I'm I'm stoned on Benadryl at this point, and <laughs> and the itching has sort of gone away. But there's still, as is with the victims in the in the novel, there's still in the back of my head that I'm different. My skin is different. Well, if you wake up tomorrow and you're purple. We'll talk some more. That I'll have to find another drug for, absolutely. Dennis Meredith's new book is The Rainbow Virus. For any science journalists listening, Dennis has also written the Council for the Advancement of Science Writing's online Guide to Careers in Science Writing. And if you take advantage of the Eureka Alert service, you can thank Dennis. He was one of the creators and developers. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can check out my latest column for the magazine on the advantages to criminals of getting a skin disease. The column is called Dermatitis Could Make Fingerprints Unreadable. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that